Hey everybody, welcome back to Hunting Ain't Easy. This is Mike Costello, your host, and we are going to talk about deer hunting in California, finally. Um, it's been a little while since we really did a hunting-focused podcast because of all the regulatory issues we've been dealing with. But uh, it seems like there's a season for the attacks on hunting. We have to defend ourselves, defend hunting and, and wildlife management and conservation. But that season hopefully has passed for this year, and we are on the way to putting in for the California big game draw. And so I've got Dan Ryan on the phone here. We're going to talk for a couple hours about um, deer hunting specifically in X5A and B, 6A and B, X7A and B. So those three, actually six X zones just north of Tahoe. Um, heading up there into northeastern california so these are great zones for deer they're accessible within a few years you know three to three to 16 points you need to get into these zones and so a lot of hunters have points saved up to get into them and uh, so we cover these because they're kind of close to home for me they're very much close to home for him and he's got a lot of expertise in these zones and if you're thinking about hunting this this region or if you're thinking about scouting for a future opportunity i think you're going to listen in and maybe even have your Google Maps out or Onyx hunt or have your Go Hunt maps out while you're listening because you can kind of explore the terrain and the geography as he's talking about each of these zones. And I think it'll add another layer of value as you listen into what he has to say about it. So let's go ahead and dive in. We've got Dan Ryan with the Bureau of Land Management. He's an excellent, experienced hunter. He knows land, he knows habitat, he knows deer, and so this is going to be a fun one to listen to. Um, let's just go ahead and dive in, and I'd love for you to introduce, like you said, we are getting requests, so I'd love to give, give a little bit of background on, on who you are and, and what you do and how that connects to hunting, uh, a little bit of your hunting background, and yeah, we'll touch on, we'll, we'll touch on the commission and WRC, and then we'll start getting into some of the, the zones and species and whatnot. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, as far as myself, yeah, I'm Dan Ryan. I, I'm a realty specialist for the Bureau of Land Management. Um, been with the BLM since 2008, um, primarily doing that type of work as well mm -hmm. as some wildlife work. Um, and right now I'm at the epitome of my career to where I'm in the position I could definitely be in for the rest of my career. And that's, uh, I handle the land acquisition program. And so most people don't realize we have that kind of program but but the federal government um there's four land management agencies being the blm fish and wildlife service uh the park service and the forest service um and those are the four main land management agencies and all four um depending on state and locality they do acquisitions uh pretty regularly and it it, it is based on the administration you're in, um, because that's, you know, those are, those are the, the bosses of, of the federal government. Um, but it also, you know, where those priorities lie. And, and so, you know, within BLM California, we've done a lot of acquisitions just in the last 20 years, last, basically the last 15 years that I've been with BLM, we've done a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and those have all been focused um, a lot of times in our areas of special designation, but also in you know, areas that are, you know, provide access or, you know, improve access and things mm -hmm. like that. And so, so yeah, that's my day-to-day -day job. Um, got a lot of, 
fun projects going that um, are in the works, especially in, in some of our uh, nearby zones. And yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really cool to, to get some of the, get some of these acquisitions completed and, and uh, basically make them public forever, which is, is why this is my dream job. So, um, but with yeah. that, you know, I, I, I work in the office with the, with the BLM and, and um, you know, normally when a, when a, a person draws a tag or a person wants to figure out where to go camping or, you know, whatever they, they call our general office in our, you know, they get a front desk contact rep, which, you know, those people are trained in, you know, who does what in the office and, you know, some of those most common calls. And so, um, you know, especially from June to August, you know, we get a lot of phone calls about hunting um, just because Mm -hmm. the tags are getting ready to be put in. And then once people are drawn, we get even more calls. And um, I do field a lot of those calls and, and, you know, so do some other folks in the office, but um, you know, it's one of those things um, I guess I've built a, enough of a reputation um, within the hunting community that people uh, refer me a lot, um, right. you know, as far as giving, giving people a shout. Um, and I, you know, I try to help people out as much as possible. Um, but it's, you know, it's still one of those things that, that uh, I really enjoy, you know, helping people, seeing people's success, and then hearing some of the, the issues with the area, because we do gain a lot of information from folks being out on the landscape, especially during hunting season. Um, sure. Whether that be like trespass cases or cattle where they shouldn't be, or um, just how the landscape's looking. Maybe, you know, you know, we get a number of calls saying, you know, we just aren't seeing the deer that we used to see, which, you know, that's a fairly common thing, but, you know, we, mm-hmm. we do actually take those things into account when, uh, you know, when working with the department and, and trying to, you know, gather as much information, because a lot of times we just rely on, you know, one or two individuals. And, and when hunting season rolls around and we have hundreds of guys on the landscape, those are a lot, a lot of times, a lot better information that we yeah, no, it's, it's, and, and year, you put years and years of that together. I'm sure that's, you're going to amass a lot of anecdotes that start to turn into real stories and real data. Um, yeah. So you, you said you've been there for 14 years now, since 2008? 2008, yeah. That's great. And, and so, I've been, so I, I'm located in Lassen County. I cover the okay. whole north part of the state. Um, so basically from the, the Oregon border down to about the U. Ukiah area if you drew a straight line across the the state um, that's okay. the northern California district um, but I've worked in um, other districts as well um, I was a project manager for a while in our desert district down out of Palm Springs and that whole southern California area and then worked a lot in like our central California um, air, you know offices like our Folsom office in uh, um our uh, Bakersfield office, as well as um, the Ukiah office. So bumped around quite a bit, but always, always settled here in Northeastern California because I really, really enjoy the the diverse landscape. Yeah. And it is diverse. So this could be its whole whole other podcast, but um, within BLM, you know, people think people talk about, Oh, you're going this zone, you know, call the biologist. Usually they're talking about like the, the forest service biologist or the CDFW biologist that would cover that area. Does BLM have as an agency, are there biologists in amongst the, you know, the staff there that, that focus on, you know, wildlife or forage or, you know, the different, you know, the, the different species that are on the landscape and and what's going on 
at that level? Yeah, so it, it varies by office, but every every single office has a wildlife biologist. I mean, okay. there, there's no way around it. So there's always a wildlife biologist and a wildlife program for the Bureau of Land Management. And if you look in the big game digest after they list the zones, and then they talk about some of the details, they might say, you know, like X5B, I think says like good access to public lands managed by the BLM and they give mm-hmm. our phone number. And so that's okay. our, that's our front desk number. Um, and from there, you know, again, it's, it's just giving the general number, you know, the, the history has always been, well, I have a deer tag. I should talk to the wildlife biologist, mm-hmm. that's a wildlife person, you know, that's a piece of wildlife. Well, um, that's not always the case. I mean, some, some wildlife biologists, like I'll give you an example. Um, you know, one of our offices in Northern California, that single wildlife biologist, they handle all the wildlife for, for the office and that, mm-hmm. that field office, which might encompass three or 4 million acres of BLM. Um, right. But their specialty in, in that office was particular is, is fisheries. And okay. so, um, you know, so they, so they might not have a, a, a large game, you know, specialty from school or something like that. And they might rely heavily on like a CDFW biologist for that kind of stuff. So, Got it. Um, so that's where, you know, they might not be your best person to talk to about mule deer or antelope or elk or what have you. Um, but right. if you're going fishing there, it might be a, you know, a good resource <laughs> to, perfect. to talk to them about that. So, right. so, you know, when I, when I, you know, hunt in other states, you know, and I call a BLM office, normally I, I try to talk to either a law enforcement ranger, um, which they're always out in the field. They're uh-huh. a lot of times the ones checking the hunters, just like a, a game warden, things like mm-hmm. that. But they're, they're a really good resource. Um, I will talk to the wildlife biologists because they have a good idea of like, you know, habitat and uh, population trends and things like that. And then I usually try to reach out to like a range conservationist or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a realty specialist like myself, just because those type of people um, in the office maybe don't have anything to do with wildlife, um, but they, they are f- field going people and they're out in the mm-hmm. field a lot. And so they can be a wealth of, of knowledge as far as if you're trying to get an idea of of what, you know, a person is seeing on a day-to-day basis in a certain zone. Yeah. So um, that's great. So yeah. I mean, those, those people I think are, are super important to reach out to. Um, and then the other thing you have to be just, just cautious of is, you know, when you reach out to these offices, you know, some offices might, you know, their wildlife biologists retired or the range conservationists is, is um, doing a detail somewhere. So you might have to, you know, try to, be creative and bump around to some different folks. And um, usually if you ask, you know, someone internally, like, who do I talk to? Like, who's out in the landscape a lot? Who's, you know, who's familiar with hunting? Like a lot of times they'll all point to the same person. And so that's like what they do in my office. They all point to me and forward those calls. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I wish we had a list for every office on, you know, who to talk to, but you know, that you just have have to kind of do a little bit of legwork. Yeah. Well, and, and how to ask questions is such a, it's, 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 it's its own little skill. Like you said, like, just if you call and say, can I talk to the biologist? Well, you, you will go down that path, but it may not be the best path or, you know, as opposed to, Hey, I have some questions about this species in this area. Can you tell me who's the best person to talk to in the office about that? And they may, they may go, well, it's Dan Ryan because he hunts 
You know, he's been hunting. He's been out in the field for, for years. He hunts, he's been hunting for years. So he's going to be the best resource, even though you're not the biologist. So yeah, yeah asking those questions is it's its own skill set. Um, yeah. Appreciate the perspective on there. Yeah. So, and definitely, you know, writing down what your questions are. So like, yeah, like you just said, some questions are catered to more specific individuals. So, mm -hmm. you know, like, like if I have a question about access or where to camp or, you know, um, maybe, you know, what are, what are some of the terrain types or like wilderness issues or things like that? Like mm -hmm. there might be a specific person in the office, like a rec planner or a range con or something that I, you know, that would know more about that. They mm -hmm. might not know anything about hunting, but they've driven every road out there or they've, right. they know exactly what the best campground is if you're going to hunt this specific area. And then, yeah, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to talk specific to like, what are the populations doing or how, you know, how do the herd, you know, herd conditions look, or if there was an extreme winter, like, do we have any die off? Then yeah, you might want to go straight to that biologist because they're, even if they're not specialized in, in large game, they're going to, mm -hmm. they're going to know those answers. Um, yeah. So can you tell when somebody has done zero research on their own versus somebody that's coming to you with like their own bank of research and now they've, they've hit some dead ends and they need, need help filling in the gaps? Yeah. So, so I would say the, the most how's common, that, how's that go? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, the most common, and I would say probably like it's, it's gotten better. I think there's been a lot of, of publication, whether it be through podcasts or magazines or whatever is like how to talk to biologists or how to talk to people to be able to get actual information out of them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very, very true. I mean, all of us, you know, we are, we are public servants. So we try, I mean, I try to give as much time to every individual that calls me, but mm -hmm. like, if they just call me and say, all right, I drew X5B or X6B or something like that. And, and where do I go? <laughs> and you know, that, that is like the most common question. And, and I guess, I guess the biggest thing, like I That's asked them back, like is, well, you know, what, what kind of, you know, hunt are you looking for? What are your goals for the hunt? Like, is it just right. something you want to fill a tag or are you looking for like a specific type of animal? Are you planning on staying the entire season? Have you done any scouting? So I'll ask almost more, like I'll inundate them with a lot of questions and then I'll ask yeah. them, you know, obviously there's tons of online side of things like electronic, like uh, Onyx and things mm -hmm. like that to be able to do some um, research, but like, I also ask them, do you have any maps? You know, paper maps are always an awesome way to start. And, you know, BLM, we do sell those maps anywhere mm -hmm. from four to $6, um, which is a, a, a pretty good investment in my part. Um, you know, if I was going out to a place blind, um, yeah. and I'll often, you know, ask them, I'm like, Hey, you know, I can really give you some good tips, but it needs to be when you have a map open in front of you, or you've done a little bit of look of like, this is where I'm going to plan on camping. And, you know, this is the type of hunt or goals that I have um, set out for it. So a lot of times I'll be like, Hey, you know, I can get you a map, you know, give me your credit card for the four bucks. I'll send you the map. Um, we do that for free um, as far as like mailing that out. And mm -hmm. then, you know, once they have it, you know, I, I put my card in there in the, um, the envelope. And once they have it, I say, you know, give me a call, mm -hmm. take a look at it. And we can kind of talk about some specific areas. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm always surprised about the number of people that sometimes don't call back. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, you know, maybe it's, it's being lazy or maybe they found all the information they needed by, you know, asking other folks, but, um, there are a lot of people that have called back, um, 
gotten a wealth of information and like been very successful uh, based on the information and that little bit of work it took to, to get there. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, it's probably like 70% of the guys just, Hey, you know, I want to shoot a 180 class four point and you know, where, <laughs> where should I concentrate? And it's like, well, you know, for, I, I'm always very realistic. I mean, we're, if we talk about any of the zones, you know, whether yeah. it be in this one or any future one, I mean, any of these X zones, um, you know, we all see the highlight reel on Instagram and Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, and, and still, you know, while there's some really nice bucks killed every year, um, mm -hmm. the realistic goals, you know, should be, you know, if you're going to put in, you know, weeks worth of effort, um, you know, being able to, to be successful is, is fairly easy with a week's worth of effort. Mm -hmm. um, being able to shoot something that's a mature buck. Um, and, and I classify a mature buck, even in this area is like 140 inch mule deer or above. Okay. Um, if you look at any of the statistics, um, you know, most of these zones out here with the exception of X5B, you know, mm -hmm. are shooting, you know, 30 to 40% fork and orange and three points. And then, you know, some of the better ones are shooting the, you know, 30% four points. Um, but, you know, again, those four points aren't the ones that are scoring, you know, 180 inches. Um, you right. know, they're, they're in that 140 to 160 um, right. range. And so that's, that's realistic. You're, um, you know, and, and by, you know, by all means, like they're not, like there are big bucks killed every year, 180 plus, but like they are few and far between. Like we just, we just don't grow them in this state. Um, you know, maybe like we used to, or like some other States. Um, but it still means there, there are some still really good hunts. Do you, is that, um, do you think that's a function of age class? Like they're just not getting, they're not, we're not getting six and seven year old bucks. They're not getting, or, or is it a forage or genetics? So the genetics there, there have been genetics in the state for some big bucks. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not like a, <laughs> have a genetic, you know, background as far as yeah. biology, but um, you know, I've seen it just in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years being up here with like the Doyle muzzleloader hunt and, um, the devil's garden hunts. And, um, even down in Gooddale, I've been on that hunt a couple of times, you know, those, those hunts, you know, they have gone downhill, like a lot of units in the mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. Um, but they were, they, you know, we've gotten better at hunting and so we've right. gotten better at killing big bucks. And so I think that really is, is a result even above predation, like why we don't see a lot of big um, typical or big non-typical type bucks. Those bucks usually get shot when they're, when they're younger age class. And so, yeah. um, you know, like, like a good example is, um, you know, down in one of the zones here is that has uh, a late muzzleloader hunt. Um, anyway, I ended up killing a buck in Nevada and um, it was, it was, you know, jumping over back and forth from the border, mm -hmm. you know, and it was a, it was a 34 inch uh, four point, you know, mm -hmm. beautiful buck. It aged at nine years old. Hmm. Um, it didn't even score over 150. I mean, it was just very crabby. It was not, I mean, it was heavy because it was an old buck, but like, you know, it's a 34 inch buck. And so yeah, a lot of guys, I'm sure, you know, this buck was elusive, but he wasn't that elusive. I'm sure a lot of guys had passed on that buck during some of those later hunts because it wasn't genetically superior as far as having big forks to be able to score well. Right. Um, but you know, the reality is for most hunters, if they have a 34 inch buck in front of them, 
you know, they're gonna, they're gonna probably take the shot. So, Absolutely. um, but you know, hunts like the, the Doyle muzzleloader, I've seen more and more guys and same with the Goodale hunt. I've seen more and more guys nowadays that, you know, will shoot a nice typical 22 inch four point over a 22, 28 inch three by two or a 28 inch three by four. That's crabby. That yeah. might be, you know, three years older. And so I think, you know, by taking those four points continually year after year, those younger four points, I think it does, does reduce the, the genetics in those units. But again, that, yeah. that's totally, totally my, my opinion. Well, and then sometimes just big bucks know how to hide out. Um, yeah. I've got a couple trail cameras in one, one, two of the, the X zones north of Tahoe. And after November 1st, uh, there were some very large, typical, you know, four by four, four by five muleys that showed up that weren't oh, yeah. there before that. And the thing that, and then we'll get into this. The thing, the thing I'm trying to figure out is, were they just like a quarter mile away down in a drainage, just tucked away for a month and a half, or did they come from 20 miles away? Um, yeah. So that's that's the million dollar question on some of those. Is you know the way their seasons are set up, it's hard to hunt during the rut, and where the bucks show up on November 1st, they're not necessarily even local. They might be from, you know, two mountain, two mountain ridges away or more. So right on. Well, I appreciate the background there. Um, I do have a question. I want to call out to everybody that's listening to this, that you are the sponsor and author of, of, of a petition that's in front of the the fishing game commission and the department right now, um, petition 2021-017 that has a couple dozen different, I would say improvements across the board, um, some creative thought put into new premium hunt opportunities, some, you know, some, uh, zone adjustments, some season adjustments, a lot of things that, uh, as a f- total basket of ideas, it hopefully is kicking the, getting the CDFW to, to get creative and, and look at opportunity through a different lens and, and start working on some new things for us as hunters. So I, I want to pre- I want to thank you for, for kicking that off. Cause I know it's been, a you know, California's hunting regulations in terms of deer and deer management are pretty stagnant. And uh, I feel like that the department's been afraid to do anything. Like they've kind of been frozen for a while because sure. they're, 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 they're certain to be criticized no matter what they do. Um, and you know, as, as most people that listen to this podcast know, my goal is to get people to become advocates and support some innovation, support some change and really give the department some cover to start doing things, um, by being supportive of, of, of these ideas. And so what's, what's going on with that petition currently and, you know, with, and then we've got the WRC meeting, wildlife resource committee meeting coming up in a few weeks what do you anticipate happening there? What can we do as a community to, to support, you know, elements of the petition that were, that were, that people are in favor of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun learning process. And yeah, I think the ultimate goal, you know, for, for this petition, um, is to exactly what you said, get the ball rolling. Um, mm-hmm whether we all agree with what's in the petition or not, like some of those changes, you know, would honestly be detrimental to my hunting on a annual basis. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's putting it in front of the commission to basically 
push the hand of CDFW to actually start make some change. And so, you know, normally those types of changes, you know, should just be internally. Um, but, but yeah, we decided to go this route and I think it's, uh, it's gaining momentum. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the WRC meeting is, shoot, I shouldn't know this, uh, the 19th um, yep. of May. And so that's where, again, the, the petition was introduced. Um, and um, now the department has digested it and started working it, mm -hmm. um, working on, on some of the aspects of it. So again, it covered not just deer hunts, but it covered elk. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some sheep discussion as well as that set wonderful second bear tag. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I think, I mean, I think, you know, for, from the discussions I've had recently with department staff, as well as commission staff is still on the 19th, no decisions are going to be made, but it's going to be more of a report out from CDFW on what are some of the next steps that would lead to a decision to be made on the commission standpoint based okay. on CDFW's recommendations in September. And that would be for 2023's regulation cycle. And so, um, you know, I, I think for the 19th, I think the biggest thing, like we've shown the last few, um, well, not the last couple, but, but a couple before that, as mm -hmm. far as those commission meetings is just having <laughs> sportsmen support change. And, and again, if, whether you support the entire, you know, the entire petition or just components of it, I think mm -hmm. just supporting change at this point is what would be the most beneficial. And, um, you know, in, in the words of, of department staff, you know, they, they do like some of the stuff in the petition and they dislike some of the stuff of the petition, mm -hmm. but then also they're bringing forward some of their own ideas and own information um, that they said that they would be also bringing forward in September. So, okay. um, you know, again, it's, it's giving an opportunity to, to make the, that, that change happen. And so, um, anyway, I think, I think, you know, for, for the 19th of May, it'll be great to have people show their support, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in, in whatever form, just supporting change in, in some of the hunts. Um, and, you know, providing more opportunity and hopefully reducing some of the, the time, time frames it takes to draw some tags. Um, so I yeah. think that just showing that support and then also just getting, you know, getting, you know, everybody's wheels turning, like even the last commission meeting, there was a petition for, um, heritage type hunts. And so mm -hmm. those are more traditional, um, like we have muzzleloader and archery already, right. but like traditional archery and traditional muzzleloader. And so I, I did talk to that person and they, you know, that, that idea was instigated from, from early petition meetings where we've talked about or commission meetings where we talked about my petition. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it gets the ball rolling and gets more ideas. And plus, you know, the, the petition that I put forward is really just Northern California um, with the, with the exception of some of the, um, the second bear tag, as well as some of the just general rules. Um, right. you know, so there is, there is a lot of opportunity throughout the state for change. Um, yeah. and so if, if we're able to see some success in, you know, a late hunt held in, held in this zone or a different, uh, zone boundary in another or something like that, like hopefully it'll, you know, cause some change where people can go you know, to the department and say, Hey, I live down here in D 17. You know, I think there's a real opportunity for this type of hunt here. Um, and you know, maybe have that change occur. Yeah. 
Well, I, I want to remind anybody that's listening to this before that 19th, the meeting on the 19th, that this is, this is the, the WRC is where your petition was really chewed on through a two hour workshop where there's about 50 to 60 hundreds on the workshop with department staff, with two commission members. And I thought that was a, that was an incredible meeting in the sense that, you know, they carved out time specifically to discuss this. Um, and it just, it was a great dialogue, a lot of good feedback from hunters. And I think that the department came away from that with hopefully some inspiration, definitely knowledge that hunters are, are paying attention and, and have, have a voice on this. So anybody that, that can come back to this meeting or if they miss that workshop, if they can dive in on this one and, um, and support some of the ideas, add, add their own flavor, their own comments to some of the ideas, I think it'll be a, a, a very positive thing. Um, you know, we just came off of the Fish and Game Commission meeting where the, the anti-bear hunting uh, petition was squashed pretty soundly by the commission and by the department. That was a, a great turn of events. Um, and now we have data. You know, we have data about the bear population in the state. And I think, you know, we're not going to just flip a switch and get a second bear tag immediately. But I think there's room to use the data that's been presented to start really lobbying hard for that second bear tag, if not statewide, then at least in the zones of the state, the areas of the state where they know with certainty that the highest bear populations exist because they've got that, that density layer of information now available. So I think something, something good is going to come out of your petition. Um, it, it just, you know, it may not look like what was drafted initially, but as you said, it's going to inspire some change. And I think, I think we're going to be able to continue to push for this, to have those changes solidified in September for 2023, which will be awesome. So thank you for, thank you for sticking with it and, and pushing this forward. Um, I have a question about elk. Do you know much about elk in California? <laughs> I, I know some of your region has a lot of elk or has, has elk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as my work goes, um, covering the whole north end of the state, you know, that that includes, you know, the, the northeastern zone, mm -hmm. the Siskiyou zone, the uh, northwestern zone, and then the Marble Mountains um, okay. zone. As far as the stuff that touches more more public, northwestern zone's kind of shaky on that one. But um, and then there are a number of other like smaller hunts down in that that whole Cache Creek area. Okay. Um, and so I, I have been on, on a, on a number of those hunts. Um, probably the most of them have been in like the Northeastern zone. Um, so I probably, you know, as far as knowing that the best, um, know it really well. And then, um, I have been on, um, a cash Creek hunt and then, a uh, oh, nice. a La Panza, um, elk hunt in the past. So know those, you know, for the five or six days that I've been on them. So that's about it. So our, you know, we've got all three species of elk in California, which is unique. We got Thule elk, Roosevelt's and Rocky mountain. Um, the elk study or the elk management plan was recently, you know, solidified or renewed just in the last couple of years from the CDFW. And when I looked at it, it tells me that there's basically about 7,000 elk in California. Um, but we have like 300 tags mm -hmm. in California and 
I am, I want to know, and I, I want to know, I, I want to learn and plant the seed for how do we go to, you know, 3000 tags instead of 300 or, you know, and I realize right now our tag structure and our season structure is set up for a hundred percent harvest. Like it's basically the, t the seasons and the tags, and maybe it's because the species, maybe tule elk are, are easy to kill. I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of other states that, you know, the tag, the harvest rate is, you know, 12% or 20% or 5% because of the way the allocations are done, the seasons, the method of take that's allowed during those seasons, et cetera. And so I'm trying to understand what, you know, if we went to, um, well, first of all, with 7,000, and I, 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 I'm asking each of us to wear our biologist hat, which neither of us have, but, you know, if we went to, we're harvesting 300 elk a year from a population of 7,000, it's less than 5%. You know, if we went to nine and a half percent or just under say 10% harvest, is that sustainable? My guess is it is, but I don't know the answer. But, you know, let's just say we go to 10% harvest. That's 700 elk. And if you do that on a 20% success rate, that's 3,500 tags. Like, why aren't we doing that? Like, do you have an, an opinion or an idea? Is there a blocker that I'm not seeing? Like, is it because they're on private land? Because they're too easy to kill? Um because like what, what what do you view as a hunter something that's hunted elk you've had tags you're in the land management side of things is there a blocker that i'm not seeing other than process um well there's a couple things i mean i couldn't i couldn't tell you why um why biologists wouldn't want to set quotas higher i mean i mm -hmm. can speculate that you know we it's fairly easy to, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but like it, it, it's fairly easy at, at, as far as the way the management plan is set up is how to manage elk to a certain objective in this state, because we have pretty um, high harvest success. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, low amounts, you know, lower amount of people on the landscape. And so that's, that's obviously easier to manage. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it's a, a focus of priorities. And so when you look at, you know, a state like Idaho or even Oregon to the north, um, you know, for sure, Colorado, you know, they have designated people that are, are working on strictly elk. And, mm -hmm. you know, California CDFW does have elk biologists um, and they've actually they're actually really good folks. I've talked to them. Um, you know, but again, it, it takes a little bit of creativity to go outside of the box um, mm -hmm. and go, okay, we have, you know, all these hunts in the state, um, the lower quality hunts in, in a lot of like the majority's eyes are the ones that are majority on private land. So mm -hmm. like you and me, that's not going to spend, you know, $5,000 for a trespass fee or, you know, $30,000 for a trespass fee. Um, you know, that's a low quality hunt. And therefore the the draw odds are pretty low on that because it, it, it reduces the number of people that are going to put in for that type of hunt. Draw odds are low, but draw odds are low. There's still, it, they, this, there's, well, they're, they're the best odds in the state. Sometimes is like 1% versus point, 0.01%. Yeah. That's what I meant. So like, like, you know, like bear Valley elk hunt, like that's mm -hmm. one that's over kind of near cash Creek. It's primarily mm -hmm. private land. I think there might be a little bit of public that really doesn't have elk in there. Um, but yeah, as far as a max point holder, 
um, the draw odds are better than that, than like the adjacent Cash Creek unit. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a lot of private, but there is a lot of, also a lot of elk on public land. So right. that's what, that's what I meant by lower draw odds. Got it. Um, I should have said better draw. Better. Odds, but, <laughs> better. Um, but yeah, and then, and then there's also the filtering in all the landowner tags, PLM tags and the share hunts and things like that, which do, you know, do all focus on private lands. Right. Um, those aren't stuff that we, you know, that we vie for. So I, you know, again, this is speculation. The reason, and it kind of falls back to my petition, you know, to make change, you're yeah. always going to piss somebody off. And sure. so if we were going to take like the Marble Mountains, which is a very big elk zone, mm -hmm. um, there are quite a few elk in that zone. I mean, and they're very spread out. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are extremely difficult to get to. Um, and it, you know, it takes a certain type of hunter for that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's 20 tags for that, uh, rifle hunt. And then I think another 10 tags for the muzzleloader archery. So, you know, 30 tags total and, you know, you're dealing with thousands of square miles. So, right. You know, really, I mean, beat have gone on that hunt, you know, you're dealing with very little pressure, um, that, you know, they could make, you know, multiple periods if they don't right. want to have a ton of people on the landscape at once, they yeah. could do, you know, a strictly an archery early, you know, a, a muzzleloader, you know, they could follow the, the same cookie cutter design as other states and offer more tags. Um, but I, I just think that would be, that's, that's a little bit too controversial that is, at what, this point. Um, in why the is it a controversy? In the hunting community, <laughs> There's 20,000 people on that are waiting for an elk tag. I know. They'll never I get know. I, I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. Like people, you get people to pull through the, the cycle them through the draw. You could draw every five years. If there's 3000 tags, even if the odds of, of success are terrible, people yeah. are going to drop their four or $500 out of, yeah. of non-residents are going to drop their $1,200 at the drop of a hat. You know, and they'll do it every three to five years um, and take that yeah. money and start relocating more of the herds that are in high density areas on private out in a bigger public land, you know, landscapes. I just, I'm just like, come on, this is a no brainer. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, so, so California is a little bit behind in the fact that, you know, most States, so like, like Oregon's in the North thing, you know, as uh -huh. far as an example, it's an opportunity state for the most part, there mm -hmm. are specific zones that take, 20 plus years to draw for elk. Mm -hmm. And then there's zones that you can draw on a second choice every year now that it's over the counter. Right. Uh, or now that it's not over the counter anymore. So, so, you know, there's a, there's a meld between, you know, more of an opportunity hunt and more of the like, you know, sought after hunt. And so California, it's all sought after, whether it's all private land or whether it's on public land. And so sure. I do think, you know, we have opportunities, you know, especially with the ball rolling with this petition, as far as mm -hmm. if we have enough support for, you know, transitioning one of these hunts into more of an opportunity type hunt that yeah. would still keep us at that objective level for, for game on the landscape, then, sure. you know, I think the opportunity is there. It's just, it's not a priority for the state to, to think outside the box on that realm. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm not even elk hunter, you know, and I just, I look at this as like one of the, one of the number one opportunities in the state 
to appease, to recruit, retain, reactivate, you know, to get more, to get the, the, the hunting, you know, there's 10,000 elk hunters in the state that probably leave every year. They go elsewhere. Yeah. And, and once you're buying that tag elsewhere and you're traveling elsewhere, you're probably also buying, you know, you're probably, you're buying a bear tag as an opportunity tag. You're buying, you know, you're doing a combo, you know, any, any buck elk combo in a Montana, you know, there's just so much out, out there that this seems like it should be low hanging fruit to push this in, in, in a better direction. That's financially yeah. beneficial. The money can go back into the herd management program to further expand the herds. Um, yeah. It just seems like a no brainer. So, well, I appreciate your, your perspective on that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to start dropping that seed everywhere I can plant it. And, yeah. um, and <laughs> if we can get it, get it nurtured the, the right oh, way. Yeah. Well, right, I mean, so- to be honest, and, and a lot of guys will probably be pissed, but like the marbles, I think is a great, a great spot that could potentially have that and handle those types of tags. Mm-hmm. Just because a lot of those elk are, are in the very remote sections of that part of California. And mm-hmm. so if you were to issue a hundred tags, you know, even if it was at, yeah, at the minimum of a hundred tags, or you did, you know, 500 tags spread out over five periods or something mm-hmm. like that, you're, you're going to drop from, you know, a 75 to 80% success, maybe down to 15, mm-hmm. but still harvest maybe the same amount of animals or maybe have, you know, a little bit more harvest, but not have it be detrimental to that population, right. those different populations. So, yeah, that's, um, that's what so I'm you thinking. definitely got to find this specific area. I mean, if you were to, issue more tags in like, you know, East park reservoir or Lake Pillsbury. I mean, those are like shooting fish in a barrel. So, um, you know, you couldn't, you just couldn't do that. I I do think that we are very conservative on our harvest. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, areas like Lake Pillsbury, you know, they issue one or two bull tags. I think it's just one, but I'm not sure what it is for this year, but I mean, I've gone out there and you see, you know, 20 bulls. You know, so what, what's the reasoning for having, you know, 19 bulls at the end of the day, um, in an area that doesn't have, doesn't have a lot of wolves, you know, it doesn't have predation. So those, you know, those, you know, it makes for a very quality hunt for one person. Right. Um, but you know, could you spread out five tag holders in five different periods and offer, you know, four different, four more hunts for four more bulls, you know, and is that really going to be detrimental? So I, yeah, I think Mike just keep planting the seed. Yeah. And we can keep having that discussion and, and, you know, potentially get something, something rolling for the state. Yeah. That'd be awesome. All right. So we're 40 minutes in, let's talk about deer hunting. <laughs> in sure. the zones. So the whole, yeah. the whole premise here is uh, you've offered to, to share your insights into a number of zones and kind of using the most common questions, um, that you get about these zones or, or how you approach breaking down a zone, sharing information about it. Um, you know, I think if, if you're answering the questions, if you were answering my questions, you know, I'm a public land hunter. I'm not very successful. I work hard. Um, I do get out and find deer most of the time that I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like I can find deer, but I definitely, if I'm going blind into a zone, you know, it's like, you know, what's the habitat for that zone that I should be looking at? Um, are there seasonal, like, are, is it a migration zone? Are the deer on the, always on the, you know, are they the west side of the zone up in the high mountains to start with? And then towards the end of the season, they go, they migrate. 
so I don't know, just I take a stab at it. But we talked about looking at B zones, which is a ridiculously huge swath of land between B1 and 6. Um, we talked about C, and then we I was thinking we focus on X6 and 7, 6A, 6B, 6A, 7B. But I, I am also curious, yeah. like, about 5, um, like the difference sure. between 5A and 5B, because they have such different demand and such different um, success rates. And so I, don't yeah. know, I think we just kick it to you in terms of, you know, how do you, you know, if I have a B zone tag, um, how do I even decide where to go? There's six areas. Um, yeah. What am I, what am I even hunting? It's all, is it all blacktail or are there any mule deer in there or, and then, yeah. and then, I and mean, then tell, I would... tell me, tell me your take on B zone. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, for me, um, I've worked extensively in pretty much all the X zones, just X one through X seven. Um, okay. so like the Northeastern portion of the state. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I have a lot of information in those and then, you know, personally, well, and, and some of the C zones and the B zones, um, with work, I mean, I work a lot in those zones, um, especially if you're getting over towards Reading and Arcata and that area. Okay. Um, but then, you know, the, the D zones like D3 through five, um, you know, C zones, B zones, and then a handful of the X zones are the home, you know, those are the zones that I hunt in the most as well. Mm -hmm. Um, not only personally, but with lots of friends and things like that. And so, you know, for me, um, you know, all of these zones, I, I mean, they all have their positives and negatives and, and you can, you can tell a lot from the digest, but, you know, again, it, it, it boils down to, you know, if you've never hunted a zone and you're like trying to figure out, okay, you know, this year, I'm going to swing for the fences and go for an X zone. I only got a couple points, but I'm going to go for, you know, X five B. Cause I, I know my plan <laughs> is to hunt an X zone in the next few years. And so right now I'm not going to hunt it, but maybe in a couple of years when I have four or five points, I'll go for one of those X zones that, that warrants that. And so, um, one thing I do tell people before they even like throw in their name in the hat, like I got a couple new folks into hunting this year or last year. And they didn't really want to draw anything this year um, because they were just so busy in September and October. And I was like, Hey, well, you know, it's still a lottery. It's a 90, 10 split mm -hmm. between preference points and, and uh, random draws. Like, you know, can you hunt at all in November or December? It's like, well mm -hmm. then throw your name in for like, you know, Doyle muzzleloader or good Dale or something like that. But you know, if you draw, you're going to make time to go on them. Right. And they're in times that you can hunt. So um, and then, you know, then focusing on the, the over the counter stuff, just kind of getting some, you know, hunts under your belt as far as, you know, hunting in B zone or, or C zone or, or D zone. So, so, so yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe then given we can't talk for the next, you know, we can't, do, we might do three hours on this, but it's not all going to be in one setting. Um, <laughs> maybe let's focus then on five, six, and seven. Um, like X five A and B, X six A six B, and X seven A seven B. I'm personally interested in six A six B seven A seven B because I think I've got points that would get me into one of those zones. But I, but I'm, I'm, I'm as an observer of hunting in California. I'm curious about five A and five B. 5B is one of the hardest to draw tags in the state, just 
just this just a general you know season 5b and then you've got the muzzleloader season there and you got a muzzleloader over in the 5a so how about we focus on those six zones in pairs you know five six and seven and just drill down on them in terms of what's what's unique about them why is 5b so popular yeah um whatnot yeah no absolutely and i'm i'm game for that okay. um know the know those zones very well yeah. um i would say that you know for the b and d and c zones you know those are great second options mm-hmm. um there are some really good hunts within those zones as well like special hunts mm-hmm. um but always you know if, if a person wants to hunt 6a like don't wait five or six years to go hunting like put in b zone or put in c zone as a second choice or put in b zone as a second choice grab that tag and go in one of those zones like b zone is an awesome i mean it's an awesome zone for diversity i mean i've hunted most of those zones b3 and b5 not so much um, okay but like b1 b2 b4 and b6 all have really unique opportunities and and within them um i would say you know looking one one thing i'll add before jumping into the x zones um, and because it's BLM and, and some people are going to hate me for this, but like looking at, you know, if we're going to have fire closures, um, okay. especially oh. on the forest service, um, right? realize, you know, in, in B and C and D zones, we have, you know, Sierra Pacific Industries, which is a timber group and as well as a bunch of other timber organizations that will be closed. A lot of times those places are open to hunting. So that's going to limit, limit where you hunt. Yep. The forest service the last couple of years has really cracked down and closed their lands during a lot of the archery and proportions of the rifles. So that really limits B and C and D zones. Right. But, you know, looking at using Onyx and looking at some of these off the wall areas that are BLM, you know, and a good example is like pretty much all the public land in B4 is, is BLM. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty big unit and, you know, it, it, it does get hunted pretty heavy, but I mean, you're hunting, you can hunt along the ocean. You can hunt in the thick timber. You know, it, it is definitely a, a, a nice place to be. Um, where a lot of people get detracted from those kinds of areas is they go like opener of archery or they, they're weekend warrior in it, which, mm-hmm. which is there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times, like, you know, I've been in those areas where, you know, it's two or three weeks into the season, whether it be archery or rifle and you're by yourself. So, okay. um, so that's one thing just before jumping into X zones, like those B and C and D zones, like, you know, just try to be flexible, like knowing that the forest service and SPI and a lot of these places might be closed down. There is, there is still some opportunity on BLM because we, we don't shut down yet. I mean, we've, we've tried to stay open basically these last few years. That's a, I mean, that's a great point um, from a, from a hunt planning perspective is, is figuring out, what the backup plan is in terms of land use or land management. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but no, that's a, that's a good call out that um, knowing if, knowing if your tag has either knowing if your tag has BLM land or if, or choosing a tag because you know, it has BLM land is uh, is a, is a good call out. That's I like that. Yeah. That's a good point. Definitely. So yeah, so so jumping into the X zones, you know, like yeah. so X five, six, and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by far in my area, I get the most questions about five and five, five A and five B, just because mm-hmm. those are primarily 
uh, BLM land um, mm-hmm. on those those zones. So you know, if if folks aren't familiar, like five A is is to the west side of three ninety five as you're heading north um, between three ninety five and roughly Highway one thirty nine. Okay, um, and then five B is uh, east of three ninety five going to the Nevada border. Mm-hmm. Um, both zones are actually very similar in terrain. Um, mm-hmm. five, five, a does have, um, more Tim. I mean, it does have timber on some portions of it. Um, it does have more trees, you know, juniper and, and some pines and stuff like that. But, you know, for the most part, if you're looking for like an open country desert type hunt, either of those zones offer majority of that type of, of terrain type. Okay. Um, Five, the only difference in, in 5A and 5B, I would think, you know, at least at least in my career hunting in the state is 5B's always had a, a you know extreme high reputation from when it was the very first pre, you know draw zone in the state um, okay. to to just you know recently where it still takes you know 16 to 18 points to draw depending on who jumps in from the year, year to year. And yeah. Um, you know, the 5B actually used to issue a lot more tags. And then there was a, a 300,000 acre fire that ran through in 2012. Mm-hmm. And that really dumped their, um, their quotas, um, tag quotas um, to a very low, low amount. And I think it was like, it went from like, I, I forget what the total was, but at first it went down to 100, then to 75. And I think now they're at like 50. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, granted, you know, it's, it's, it's got a lot, it has a lot of points to, to be able to draw that tag. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also a function that they keep reducing the quota for that, that hunt, you know, not, not year to year, but maybe every few years that, you know, eliminate the number, you know, of, of people on the landscape, but number of people that can actually draw it. So, right. Um, it's definitely a long game or just throwing your name in, in the hat for like something for the random side of things. Um, it is, it is a, a very high quality hunt as far as, um, being able to see game. Um, and it has very high success. I mean, it always averages like 60 to 70% in the rifle. Um, and yeah. it really depends on the archery side of things for, for a nine, but it, it, it does have good success there, but they only issue, I think like five tags for that. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at last, I'm looking at the, the digest and like, it's like, um, in 2020, it was a, uh, 2020 was 70% success. Whereas five a, and then last year it was 80% success. Whereas last year, 5A was about 50% success. The year before that, it was even, it was lower. But the yeah. quality of the bucks, like the deer, like you're getting 50% or more of the deer being taken in 5B or four-point or better. And then you're also getting like 20% that are five-point or better. Yeah. With, the, with the habitat, so these are not, these, these bucks aren't like loaded on one side of the zone, then they migrate to the other. These bucks are distributed throughout, it sounds like. And with the habitat being so similar, why do you think five B is, is, is so different in terms of like what's being taken there. Um, I think, I think reputation has a little bit to do with it. I mean, I, I check in and check out a lot of hunters every year in five B and, you know, all of them are, are shooting for the stars kind of thing. And so, 
um, where you do have even to this day, a handful of guys that tag out on a forky or a three point mm-hmm. on opening day. Most of these guys that hunt five B are looking for, um, you know, a mature buck, a four point or better kind of thing. And so yeah. I are think they guided? That, you think they're 15 uh, years in, or are they going with guides? You think, is that a big uh, part of it? There's only a handful of guides. Most of them are do it yourself. Okay. Um, out of that 50, 50 tags. Um, and really it's not a difficult hunt to do yourself. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and kill a four point. I mean, if, if you're putting in time behind the glass, I mean, you should do just fine. Um, and, and can shoot, you know, decent long distance, you know, 250, 300 yards kind of thing. Um, why, why five B I mean, you know, that reputation and also that mindset for most that go into it, I think mm-hmm. is a driver for people are willing, like, Hey, I just spent 16 years putting in for this <laughs> 17 years. Um, I'm going to hold out or I'm going to hunt the whole season. Okay. Um, or, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to take off the time and I'm going to come scout and all that kind of stuff. So they're more vested in it. Um, not that the hunters in, in 5A aren't, aren't vested, but they're not as vested as, as a person that maybe spent their max points on this kind of stuff. Right. Um, so while, you know, 5A, I actually have seen a, a kind of an increase in, in deer numbers in that unit. Um, and I think it's because of the conservative tag quotas from CDFW. And so I think, I think more deer are surviving at the end of the day. Um, I see a lot of predators in both 5A and 5B, um, yeah. i.e. coyotes and, and lions. Um, probably more on the 5A side. But um, that's just, I think, a lot of times because there's a lot more trees and terrain and stuff like that over there um, that maybe is more conducive to, to lions. But, but who knows? Um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot more hunters I see in 5A get frustrated after the first, you know, four or five days, they haven't seen the buck they wanted. So they either eat their tag and go home or they, they punch out on something that's smaller or less quality, um, in their mind. Got it. So I think, I think really it comes down to a mindset into going into those zones. So last year, so, um, so that's because you're, you're making me think like, 5A is like the it's the poor man's 5B like in terms of how how much wealth you have tied up in points you know <laughs> yeah. if you if you only got five or six points and so but then I'm looking at um the archery success rate 5A's archery last year zero out of ten harvested and 5B only one out of five harvested is the is the archery hunt just that is so much more difficult or um i would say there's rarely i mean and, and i i i mean i used to wake up early in the morning when i heard the digest was coming out and you know going to big five and trying to grab it and stuff to look at oh, all yeah. this kind of Mark stuff i still up. have you know i still have a binder of all this information to show try to figure out trends and all that kind of fun stuff yeah. but you know with archery i see i think we see the most jump an estimated harvest. Um, and it really, I think depends on the year. I mean, I've seen years where five B archery has been close to a hundred percent. Um, and we just had, we had four or five really good archery hunters out there that, that did very well. Um, and I've seen that in, in five A as well. I mean, X four, six A, six B. I mean, some years you get just some really good archery hunters that, that can do really well. Um, I think out of all the zones, the one that the one zone that stayed pretty consistent on the archery side is six a, um, and that's just, that's just a function. I think there's a lot, it's fairly target rich environment on the archery side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. 
for, you know, for your, you know, year and a half, two and a half year old deer, you know, that are not too smart that you can actually, you know, get off the road or things like that, you know, road hunt kind of thing. So, um, you know, 6A is conducive for that kind of stuff versus like 5A, 5B, you know, like I was out last year during the archery season, just, you know, checking out some camps and stuff like that in 5A. And, you know, the, the guys that I ran into out of that 10, I ran into three of them and, you know, just, just talking with them, you know, they, they're, they were seasoned archery hunters, but they weren't super serious about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were driving around a lot on their UTV, Mm. um, you know, doing glassing here and there. Um, but really it, it didn't strike me as a, you know, folks that were super serious. And, Mm -hmm. um, I had a, a parcel that we were looking at acquiring. And so I, you know, hiked about a half mile, um, into this parcel and, and, you know, I saw four different bucks and I had two bucks within 30 yards of me. Wow. Um, and I was just in my, my BLM field gear. So it was like, you know, I, I, I think the opportunity was there. It's just, you know, the guys that I ran into, you know, they might, they might've just been in it for a different reason or just been hunting it a little bit different. So are these, um, are these five A and five B you mentioned UTVs road hunting. Um, you know that, I mean, that's not my thing. I don't, I, I like to walk far, <laughs> too far sometimes. Um, are these zones where you're going to feel like you've got other, even during archery that where you're feel like you're in the presence of other hunters or can you, can, can you get away? And then also the other thing is what's the water deal there? This is, this is high desert. It looks dry. I'm looking at a map. It looks dry. Um, are there, are there natural water sources to be had year round or are the deer, you know, going to, going to tanks and stuff? Um, no, there's natural, natural water sources in both. I would say okay. 5B has more water sources. Okay. Um, than 5A as far as like on that natural side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but both have, have plenty of water. Um, both, both units do have wild horses, which, you know, BLM is, is working at trying to gather a lot of those. So you'll see a lot of those things on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, for, for the archery hunt between, between both of them, mm-hmm. you're not going to see, I mean, you're dealing with between the two 15 hunters. So you're not, you're okay. not going to see guys much out on the landscape. Um, there are some specific spots where people camp year after year after year be the, you know, the most common place. And so you're going to see people maybe back at camp. Um, but you're really not going to see hunters out on the landscape. Um, on occasion, you know, in both of those zones, you know, you have a lot of OHV recreation. Um, but it's not, it's not something that is detrimental to, to a hunt. I mean, you might see a guy, uh, ripping down a main road on his, on his UTV kind of thing. And that's about it. Got it. Well, that's encouraging because I'll never wait 16 years for for a tag, <laughs> at least not in California. Um, yeah. It's just too it's too tempting. Like there's other opportunities, and and as you just laid out, you know, if somebody wants to put in the time and put in the work. Five A sounds like it could be could be a great hunt, um, but you don't have to invest in it. You, you can do it with ten fewer years. You know, ten ten less points um, for sure, plus or minus. Yeah, for sure. It is definitely not your typical, you know, central Sierra six to 9,000 foot, you know, Alpine. That's that it is, it is, it is, it looks like a stark opposite from that. So if you're depending on what you're used to hunting, you know, um, it could be a surprise. Is it usually yeah. pretty warm? Is, is this uh, is it like 
you know, are we talking about, you know, August, September being in the nineties? What's the temp, what are the temps like up in this area? Um, yeah. So in, in Northeastern California in general, like we'll get one, maybe one week where we're in the triple digits, but the rest of the time, the summer is in the upper eighties, uh, low nineties. So, um, everybody says, well, it's a dry heat, so it's worse or something like that, you know, but, <laughs> but it, I mean, you know, being out there in August and I mean, July is the worst of it, but being out there in August and September, um, I'd say the worst thing you have to deal with is like smoke from fires, um, mm. whether they be nearby or, or down in the Valley of the smoke just travels out that way. Um, but you're, you know, you're dealing with, you know, maybe in the nineties during the day. Um, but cool nights, I mean, you'll have 30, 30, uh, um, degree temperature swings to where, um, you know, you're in the, in the summertime in the forties at night, sometimes colder if you get closer into September. Got it. Now, both those zones have their, have a muzzle loading hunt as well, late season. And are those muzzle loading hunts, are they, uh, is it a constrained area within the zone or is it the entire zone? How, how do those work and, and how do those differ from, you know, say the typical archery or, or general season hunts? Yeah, they, you have the horse lake muzzleloader and then East, East Lassen muzzleloader. So horse lake is the X5 B side. Um, it's for that entire zone okay. and the East, East Lassen's for the five B side. And, um, while they're, they're sold as late season hunts, um, mm-hmm. they're, they're the last, last week of October. So, um, you're not, I mean, you will see on occasion, those last few days, some rut activity, um, as far as, you know, bucks roaming or, mm-hmm. or starting to check on does but it's not like anything comparable to like middle of november kind of thing so okay um they are great opportunities they're very limited number of tags again mm-hmm. like i think five i think horse likes 10 tags and i think he's lessons five mm-hmm. um and so it's it's a nice opportunity if you have those points to draw that to be able to you know be on the landscape with a lot less people um, but just realize, I mean, those, those deer just got hunted for two weeks in a row, uh, with <laughs> rifles. Right. So, um, you could, you know, you could be cleaning up the, uh, whatever's left. So, <laughs> um, and the, the big ones just haven't jumped out, but with that being said, I mean, I've been on, um, the East Lassen hunt and then the Bass Hill muzzleloader, which is an X6A and it's just mm-hmm. in a portion of X6A. Um, and I've been on those hunts where it's been feast. And, uh, where we've had good weather and mm-hmm. it's been cold and the deer have really been up and about and, and shot some nice bucks. And then where it's been famine, where it's like, you are struggling to find deer, uh, okay. because it's warm, you know, we'll, we'll get those October and November doldrums where it's just, it's warm. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things It's there. They are great opportunities, but they're not, uh, they're not super like premium, um, if I had to choose, I would, I would hunt the rifle before I'd hunt those late, late archery or late rifle or muzzleloaders. Got it. And it actually, it actually looks like you can get the, the for, for 5B, the muzzleloader is only like one point more than the, than the rifle, um, yeah. almost the same. And then for 5A, the rifle is, is, is less, less points needed than the muzzy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, to kind of finish up 5A and 5B, I mean, mm-hmm. I, they're, they're awesome zones. Don't get me wrong. I mean, for sure, 5B is, is the best. And I mean, I think most people know that. Um, 
both of them have really nice terrain types that lay lay themselves to folks that like to sit in glass, like to be patient. Um, but then, the, you know, those zones also have really good access. So, you know, talking about whether you're just out there with your truck, your ATV or your, uh, mm -hmm. or your UTV, I mean, you can, you can access majority of those units um, with those, at least get within, you know, a few miles of a road to be able to hike in. There are some wilderness study areas um, within the zones. Those are not wilderness, but they're managed similar to wilderness, but still, you know, have some, some limitations on access and things like that with um, motorized equipment. But um, for the most part, like both of those zones have really good access. And <clears throat> so I always recommend with folks that are looking at either of those zones, like, do you, do you have a good pair of binoculars? Do you have a, a rifle mm -hmm. that can shoot 350 yards? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, are you willing to, to wait, you know, to be able to put in the time for, for, for that, that type of zone. And, you know, I have guys that, you know, they're, they're done by Monday or Tuesday. They want to be done by Monday because <laughs> that's, you know, we all work, we all have, you know, limited right. time off. And, and so, you know, they might only have four days and, and, and if, if that's it, then I would probably point them to something with, with higher success that maybe takes longer, more years to, to draw um, right. until, until they have some time. Off. Um, so, uh, because all the zones, I mean, you're, you're increasing your, your success, the more time you're out in the field. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the saying goes, you can't shoot big bucks shooting small bucks. Like you have to be willing to pass them up. But yeah. a lot of us, myself included, I'm sure, you know, you see a, a nice, you know, three, three by four that looks like it's, you know, four years old. Um, there might be a five by six, you know, around the corner that's six years old laying down, but yeah. I probably would never see it because I, I'll scare it off while I'm taking a shot at the three by four. Yeah. So are there, yeah. are there hiking trails in these zones or is it primarily, you know, people are using, you know, using access roads and UTV trails to get to their spot and then they're going off on foot, you know, a little ways. Yeah. There aren't specific trails. It's just, it's just cross country type type deal as far as on foot. Okay. Um, there's a lot of, you know, cow trails and horse trails that people use right. to access some of this area. Cause it's very rocky and, and, uh, you know, very arid. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's some, some nice, nice parts of the zone. The deer, the deer in both of those zones are, are still very spread out. They are mm -hmm. low deer densities, even in 5B. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, you know, you can see, you know, five miles at a time. So, you know, those deer are a little bit more visible. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, with, with trophy potential on both sides, I mean, I've seen nice bucks come out of both. However, 5B, you know, takes the cake for it because, you know, I think there's, there's probably larger bucks there because people are picky over the last, you know, decades, mm -hmm. um, and had a, you know, basically had a different mentality going into it. Um, Got it. with that being said, like trophy potential, I still, you know, 160 inch deer is, is, is a good deer for X5B. There, there are bigger, but right. they're, you know, the genetics I haven't seen out there for like big, deep forks on all four forks or, you know, major non-typicals. And, and there are some really nice, you know, 200 inch deer that come out of that zone every year. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but most of the bucks that are four points are in that 150 to 160 range. Right. 
Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening on that. That's uh, what's going to be the first part of the conversation here with Dan Ryan. We actually went long. We went about two hours. So in that session there, we uh, we covered some some general hunting issues. We covered his uh, his petition with the Fishing Game Commission, touched on some issues around elk that I, I, I want to start pursuing um, to the benefit of thousands of hunters in California, hopefully in the next several years. And then, of course, we got into uh x5a and x5b and some of dan's experiences and ideas about what makes those two zones special what makes them different and what makes x5b stand out in terms of um one of the most in-demand zones in california um and from my view if the way i was listening to what he had to say it, it makes x5a look like a um a bargain in terms of points and time required to get into that zone. So hopefully you learned a little bit from that conversation. Um, we're going to skip right over into the next episode. Um, close this one down. We'll skip into the next episode. And in that one, we'll be covering X6A and 6B and then X7A and 7B as well um, as we focus on some of these more popular uh, zones in Northern California. So thanks for listening. Deer season's coming up. Uh, but first, we got to go through the draw here in California. Draw is entries are due on June 2nd. So do your research, listen in, and figure out where you're going to spend those points if you've got them or where you're going to start thinking about scouting and accruing points for hunts in future years. Thanks a lot, everybody. You can find Hunting Ain't Easy on Instagram at Hunting Ain't Easy, just like it sounds. And I uh, love to see what's going on with you folks there on Instagram and always feel free to message me there. Thank you.